Well, on this sixth anniversary service, this special Sunday, I want to welcome you to Vive Church. I want to welcome all of our locations at six years old. We're in Oakland, San Francisco, San Jose, Palo Alto, online, Rome. Do you ever think about where in the world we'll be in another six years' time? Do you ever think about that? Or is that just me? I hope you think about it. I hope hope you think about not just who you are now, but what you were six years ago and what God's done in your life. This is the... This is the purpose of reflection and celebration. So you can see where you were and what God's done. And maybe that will produce a little bit of confidence to trust God moving forward. Just maybe, just maybe. At least that's my prayer. That's my prayer for us as a church that we've had a taste of what God can do. We've, we've seen a little hint of what God's capable of, which would produce such a boldness and a ferocity within us for His kingdom that would make us unstoppable as a church. And so I'm excited to celebrate on this Celebration Sunday with you, six years as a church. It's very exciting. And as an added bonus, we're also finishing and completing our relationship series today. I know I kind of mentioned that we're going to do it last week with Pastors John and Helen Burns, but you got me in my feelings. And so I decided that we're going to continue it one more week And we're going to give you what we've been calling a bonus track today. Amen. You ready for one more installment of Relationship Series? Amen. Well, open up your Bibles. Let's stay standing just as we read the Word of God. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. I believe God's going to speak to us in an area of relationships that is dear to each one of our hearts. And I want to kind of frame the Word of God from Genesis chapter 4. As we continue in the creation story, it says in verse 1, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. Somebody said, Amen. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but He did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but... You must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. A little bit of tension from the Word of God. As I mentioned earlier, this is a Celebration Sunday and a bonus track to our series. But I didn't want to close off this series without speaking into a pertinent topic that we all deal with in the air of relationships. And so I want to speak to you from the subject, controlling conflict. Controlling conflict. And I can tell by your deep groans that I'm on the right subject today. It's like, hmm. 
We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You ready for the heat today? Amen. Well, in celebration of six years as a church, find six people around you, give them a bear hug and say happy anniversary. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. All locations. Come on, San Francisco. Let's go Oak Town, San Jose, Palo Alto, Rome. Let's go. Let's go. So this week, Kira and I did a little uh, reflection. In fact, you know, leading into our sixth anniversary, we we went down memory lane and we we laughed at each other in, in the fact that when we were starting this thing, we 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 looked so young. We, you know, we I I still had had dark hair back then, and. Uh, you know, we were reflecting and looking at some photos. And I remember, in fact, one photo uh, my wife put on her Insta story this week was a photo of our first preview service where we had rented a hall and we had uh, like only slightly five people, but that's okay. We had vision and we had faith. Amen. And, uh, and we, at the time, I remember it was pretty much, Medea happened to have chicken pox just like that's what happens, you know, when you're trying to make way for the kingdom of God, the devil tries to come at you. So she did whatever good uh, mother and, and, and pastor does. She just brought her anyway, put her in a hoodie, zipped it up and pretended like nothing was wrong. She sat in the front row. Hey, we needed numbers, okay? And, and meanwhile, I was preaching, Kira was hosting. So I'm getting ready for the, to bring the word and, and, and to preach to the five people that were there. And, and Kira was hosting, welcoming, doing the offering and, and making sure all the new guests here really had a great time. And it was an amazing thing. But, but on the front row, our twins, who were five at the time, let's give them some grace, decided that this was the perfect time to have an all-out fight, okay, on the front row. And so Kira, so eloquently as she did, just welcomed everyone, said, let's go back into worship. Pastor Carly stepped forward. She scooped each one of them up in her arms. And we have a photo to record the fact that on the way out, the twins didn't stop fighting. They had pens and they were stabbing each other on the way out. I love that. Our church was born in conflict. I like it. But not only was our church born in conflict, our, our, our marriage is no stranger to conflict either, in fact. Would you all like to hear about some conflict? I don't have to tell you. We can just go straight to the Word of God. But, but I, I would like to get us on the same page and let you know I'm a real person. Because when we got married, yes, I am, she says. When we got married, most, most of you know, I've actually shared this before, but we, we, we got a house that was on a river and it was right next to a, a bridge. And, and, and just before we got married, we had, I had the wedding band come into the jeweler. And literally one day before our wedding, I went to pick up the wedding band. But I don't know what happened between the time I ordered the wedding band and the time it came. I must have lost weight from the, the stress of how much this thing was costing me and, and because, because I put the ring on and it literally just fell off my finger. And I said to the jeweler, hey, this is not going to work. And he's like, okay, well, we can do two things. He's like, one, we can send it back now, but you're not going to have a band for the, for the wedding. Or two, just after the wedding, you can bring it back in. I said, let's go with option number two, because at least I have a ring, you know. And, and, and we were super proud. Like we, we, went, we didn't just wear it on the wedding day. We we're on the honeymoon. I said, let's just take care of this when we get back. And we, were, we had the ring on the whole time. And, and when we got back from the honeymoon, I thought, I do need to go to the jeweler. But man, there's a bridge 
right near our house. And since I moved into the house, I'd been dying to jump off it. And, and so my buddies happened to come around. They were excited. We came back off the honeymoon. And so we said, what a good time. Let's just quickly go up and jump off the bridge. Long story short, I lost my wedding ring. I'm not going to tell you the great detail. That's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother story of all the things I lost in process of trying to find my wedding ring. But I do want to fast forward to the point where I came back just to, to, to break the news to my wife about the funny situation that happened <laughs> and how boys being boys, one thing led to another and I lost my, my wedding band. Now, I was somewhat surprised by her response because she responded by telling me we need to now have a talk. First time in our wedding, in our marriage that I'd had a talk. Not the last time, but anyway. <laughs> I remember we proceeded to have a little talk where she was telling me that now that I am a married man, I have responsibilities. That I can't just go around with the boys anymore and do the stupid childish things we used to do. Uh, and, 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 and needless to say, I didn't react real well to that. And I decided that this is the perfect time to introduce some conflict into our relationship. Because what I was interpreting was that she was trying to be my mother, not my wife. What she was trying to communicate was nothing to do with mothering me or holding me back from being me, but just me valuing this commitment that we have made one to another that I was not appreciating. Needless to say, I communicated that very eloquently. It wasn't like that at the time. The whole time I didn't know she'd actually bought me another band and was surprising with me, but I'm the fool, don't worry about it. But anybody would, oh, don't, don't have sympathy on me. They'll win you back. Let me try this. How many people, how many other married or experienced relationally people understand that, that in every relationship there is this thing called conflict? Okay, there we go, we're back. It's conflict. Conflict. Everyone knows conflict. In fact, all the married people, we, we kind of chuckle and we, we have question marks over those people who say they never disagree because, you know, the truth is in the same way that iron sharpens iron, sparks always fly when there is passion. Amen. However, in relationship, conflict is ultimately the cause for hurt and heartache and, and really creates a disconnect in relationships. This is the enemy's plan with, with, with uh, conflict. In fact, whether it's a romantic relationship or a sibling rivalry or a, some kind of a workplace disagreement, conflict actually can not only be harmful, but also very surprising in its timing. Like, isn't that funny how you can be on your way to worship the Lord and conflict can break out? Well, I've got some real people down here. The rest of you wake up Sunday morning and you just float to church, don't you? You literally glide like on angels' wings, blessing people, giving money to the poor on the way in. You have no idea how conflict can creep in when you're poised and ready to glorify the Lord. But its, it's timing comes quickly, unexpectedly, and does not expire as easily. As quickly as it comes, it'd be great if it went that quickly, but conflict seems to hang around a little bit. Conflict kind of leaves a stain. Conflict leaves a mark. And ultimately, this is because conflict comes from the differing of two opinions and is often a reaction to an, an area of deficit or deceit. Conflict denotes disagreement, argument, 
and dispute. And in most consciences, actually, actually results in a fight or in my case, an all-out war. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where like a little fight underplays what conflict looks like in your life. Like you bring out every weapon you have when you're in conflict. And this is because conflict works through the avenue of emotions. And you might not think you're a, a very emotive person, but conflict can be both passive and aggressive. Conflict is found in the struggle. It's formed in in the friction and it's created in the clashing of two opinions. Conflict can also come in varying degrees of intensity and is the enemy's tool for destruction and separation of relationship. I'm just trying to do some teaching and get us on the same page of the area of conflict because some of us like to deny because we're in a good moment right now that we don't have conflict and conflict's not a struggle, but give it a little minute and you'll find yourself back in the same place that you don't want to be. And conflict is always cultivated in the grounds of deceit and and deficit. However, can I be so bold as to say that conflict itself is not what kills relationship. It's not knowing how to handle or control conflict that does that. It's not conflict that kills it. It's how we handle conflict. It's what we do with conflict. It's how we control conflict. And what we see in Scripture is a picture of conflict with Cain. In fact, let me go ahead and just break this whole passage down for you because here in Genesis chapter 4, we find that Adam and Eve have done what the Lord instructed. They have gone forth and multiplied. They have multiplied by two. They've had two sons, one named Cain and one named Abel. Now, Cain, being the oldest of the two sons, has literally inherited the family business. If we remember back to the garden, we will remember that God gave Adam two jobs. The first job was to name all the animals. And the second part of that job was to tend the garden. But since paradise was lost and they were forced out of the garden, the job changed a little bit from tending the garden to working the field. They now had to work the land. But by the sweat of their brow, they had to toil and they had to work the land. And Cain being the firstborn and the eldest in the family, he, he, he operated now in the family business. He did what dad was skilled to do. He must have learned of Adam himself. And it says that Cain cultivated the ground. Abel, however, he, he ventured out on his own and started his own thing and he became a shepherd. He started his own business, started his own practice, learned his own skills and he's now a shepherd. And when the time came to bring an offering to God, as was the custom that was obviously instituted by their father, Adam, we see that Cain brings an offering from his field while Abel brings an offering from his flock. But only Abel and his offering is accepted, which can seem confusing at first, possibly because we do not fully understand the, the institution of these offerings. Maybe it's because there are some elements that we're a little grey on as to why Abel's offering was accepted. Not just his offering, but it says Abel and his offering yeah. were accepted wow. and Cain and his offering wow. were not. Wow. And what would be helpful to understand when we really dive into the heart and the premise of the offerings is the offerings were not a duty that God implemented for people to fulfill. It wasn't a ritual. The premise of the offerings were always birthed out of relationship. God said, I'm not instituting a a ritual that I want you to, to, to adhere to. He's like, this is out of an overflow of relationship. 
So it wasn't the contents of the offering that caused them to be accepted or rejected, but the attitude in which those contents were brought. Stay with me. We see, in fact, Scripture tells us plainly in verse 3, it says, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. So here what we've got here in the creation story is we see that God is defining from the beginning what is an acceptable offering. Because bringing an offering to God, as I said, wasn't meant to be ritual. It's always birthed out of relationship. So we see that the heart of the offering is actually what matters to God. Cain was operating out of duty. Like, oh man, it's time for the offering. I guess I've got to take some of this grain. I've got to take some of these crops and give them to God. There was an attitude behind it. However, it says that Abel carefully selected the best and the finest of the firstborn lambs, the, the best ones, the ones that he wanted, the ones that were precious to him, not the ones that were left over. This is ultimately why, why, why Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, talking about offerings. This is the same for, for Cain and Abel, is the same for you. The, the heart behind offerings to God, our tithe and the offerings that we bring, it's not a duty like a Christian tax that we have to somehow pay because we now serve Jesus and we go to church and we're part of this club so we might as well give some money. That's not the heart of an offering or a tithe. The heart of an offering of a tithe is not ritual, it's relationship. Because I know who my God is, because I've seen what He's done, because I'm so aware without Him, I wouldn't have what I have. And because of Him, I walk in blessing, I walk in favour. I, I have a wife, I have a family, I have what I have because of my Lord. Let me bring an offering that shows my gratitude. Paul says, do not give out of reluctancy or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This is why the tithe is not just 10% of our income, it's the first 10% of our income. It's the first. Before everything else, before I honour honor my tax bills, before I honour my, 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 my rent, before I honour everything else, I'm going to honour the Lord. It's my heart. But I'm not preaching on the tithe. Take a deep breath. Everyone got real tense. Thank you. I'm preaching about conflict. Nothing creates conflict like areas of the heart. And we see as a result of Cain's misappropriation of the offering and a subsequent rejection by the Lord, the Bible tells us that this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. How many people have a hard time hiding your feelings? Like, let's be real. How many people, like, you're trans, you've got a bad poker face. Like, when you're, when you're mad, everyone knows it. Like, you cannot hide it. No matter how hard you try, it comes through. You know, you can tell this in relationships, you know, like those budding relationships where you can tell, oh, he in trouble because, like, his, his wife or his girlfriend's giving him the look, like the death stare. In fact, you can measure a maturity of a relationship by the look. Did you know that? Amen. By how subtle a look is. In fact... In fact, you know a real mature relationship when there's not even a look. In the absence of a look. I'm trying to help you get on my level. Like when, when, when it used to be like, like I'm seeing, I, I see you. 
Now it's just like, you know you're in deep trouble. You know, back away, stop what you're doing, get off, amen. Cain, however, is not that mature in the relationship field. And so whatever he's feeling, he's showing. So much so that he looks dejected. And, and I love what God does. I, I love the way God responds because God just looks at Cain and says, you mad, bro? Literally, like, like, like Cain's walking around slamming doors. He's moving furniture. He's, he's making noises. And God's like, hey, Cain, you mad? Not because he was wondering, he's just stating the obvious. Sometimes you got to do that, right? Sometimes you got to avoid a whole lot of passive conflict and just call it like it is. Hey, you upset right now? I'm getting a vibe. Like you're a little dejected. So we asked Cain, why are you so mad? Because what's really important to realise is that at this very moment right here, not when Cain takes Abel out in the field and kills him is the conflict, but right here is the conflict for Cain. In fact, if you're a note taker, go ahead and write this down because this is going to be helpful to frame the way we see conflict is that external conflict is often an indication of an inner struggle. Often we calculate conflict by the external expression of the conflict. But the external expression of that conflict is always a latter response to an internal struggle that we possess and that expresses itself in a violent or vicious or detrimental way. And so the moment the offering was rejected by God, is this teaching okay so far? I know we've got door, we'll get to the door. I know you're like, when's he gonna get to the door? What's the door doing on stage? We'll get to the door. But I gotta build a little bit first. We're gonna do some teaching. We're gonna get on the same page with conflict because some of you have been doing conflict for a little while. Some of you are new to this stuff. Some of you just ended a relationship and it opened up a whole new can of conflict. Now you didn't know. You didn't know your heart could hurt so bad. You didn't know that, that there was so much commodity in this thing. And now that the stakes are higher, the pain is also. Before the stakes were high, you could, you could say what you wanted to, but now there's damage on the other side of every word. And so we need to get on the same page and understand conflict because for Cain, we see that his heart had jealousy towards his, his brother and the jealousy birthed and conflict and it came to life, which had nothing to do with Abel, by the way. You know, I feel real sorry for Abel in this story. Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that every conflict has one guilty party and one innocent party, but, but it is a great illustration of how your conflict will go to work regardless of who the recipient is. That conflict is present regardless of another person. Conflict comes from within you. And no matter how confronting this can be, this is where our conflict comes from because, because often we blame somebody else, we ignore the fact that this is coming out of a deficit in my life. I'm trying to help us understand the position of conflict. And in fact, let me bring, bring us back to another passage that I introduced in this series from James. James has a masterful way of unpacking conflict from a spiritual perspective. And I gotta warn you, James don't play. Because here in James chapter four, verse one, it say, he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous, everyone say jealous. Jealous, jealous of what others have, 
but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Can I explain to you what what jealousy really is? Because we often think jealousy is wanting just what somebody else has got. Like, like I'm jelly, you know, like it's like a nice little, like slow jelly, you know. They're on vacation, slow jelly. Yeah. Am I doing that valley girl enough? But that's not jealousy. Jealousy is way more sinister than that. In fact, jealousy is having anger at the affection someone else is getting that you feel belongs to you. Jealousy produces an anger within you at, at, at not just a, a car that someone else has or a vacation that they get to go on or a position. That's envy. That's, that's something separate. Jealousy revolves around the area of affection. It, it, simply, it simply produces or manifests an anger within you at the affection somebody else receives that you within you rightfully feel that you deserve that you rightfully feel that belongs to you, but somebody else is getting. And this is what we see with Cain. We see that Abel is getting affection from God and acceptance of his offering. Yet Cain is, is literally having an anger well up within him because he feels that that is rightfully deserved to him. And that, that jealousy produces a war within him that Abel is completely unaware of. As if God's affection is limited and portioned, that if Abel got it, he can't get it. And so he's creating this animosity towards Abel, but it has nothing to do with Abel. It has everything to do with Cain, but yet he's conflicted within him that produces an action of murder towards his brother. And his own feelings of inferiority are then outworked on Abel. So what was an internal struggle we see is now manifested or presented in an external conflict. Now I love how God responds to Cain's conflict. He asked him a question, not to find out why, because he's God. He already knows. Like when he, when he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, he's like, where are you? It's not because he didn't know. He's like, he can see through trees, yo. He, he knows. <laughs> but, but, but they forgot where they were. They forgot who they were. So God will ask you questions to confront things in your life, not because he doesn't know, by the way. He knows your innermost thoughts. And oh, man, half the time we're like, I don't want to show this to God. God's like, I already know. Just do yourself a favor. Come on, express your sins to me and let me my grace go to work. So he asks Cain a, a question. He says, why are you so angry? Verse six. The Lord asked Cain, why, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Isn't this crazy little illustration? God takes like a little left-hand turn and, and decides that what Cain needs to know more than anything right now is what, is what is posing and presenting an opportunity because of his internal conflict. He says, if you do what is right, uh, things will go well with you. But if you don't do what is right, watch out, because sin is an opportunist. Sin is at the door, eager to control you. God illustrates for Cain real clear in Scripture here with a real picture of what sin is doing because of the internal conflict that is residing within him and taking place. He says sin is crouching at the door. Now, I thought 
that we would bring Scripture alive and we would take God's illustration and we would bring it an onstage illustration because I got a door here. Now, this door is the door to conflict. Okay? Every conflict has an entry point. All conflict starts somewhere. There's always an entry point. The conflict, the door to conflict, in fact, it is an internal door on the inside of you. And there are many things that will cause that door to be open. And, and what we've got, the Bible says that, that sin is crouching at the door. Now, we don't, we don't have sin here. We need, we need sin. We need some sin. Todd, come here. Come here, Todd. Give it up for Todd. Give it up for Todd real quick. Actually, sit down. You look too much like Jesus. Sit down. Sit down. That's not going to work at all. Bad choice. Who, man, I don't, I, don't know how I, I don't know how I... See, the next person I pick is going to be like, oh, okay, so he looks like Jesus? I look like Satan? Let's just pretend that sin's there, okay? Let's do this. Let's just pretend... Let's just pretend, okay? Just for relationship's sake. So, so, so sin's crouching at the door. And this is the door to conflict. Now, wouldn't it be great preaching, in fact, if we say, okay, cool, if, if, if conflict is a door and sin's crouching at the door, shut the door. In fact, wouldn't that be a great sermon title? Shutting the door on conflict. Let's keep it alliteration, closing the door on conflict. However, simply closing the door on conflict is a thing called avoidance. It's a passive position. You've probably known people like this. You've probably seen people like this. They, they're, they're passive in the area of conflict. They're always taking the conflict. They, 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 they ignore conflict. They avoid conflict. The problem with that avoidance is it will only produce a, a bottled up mentality where you'll only take the conflict so long and that pressure will build up where you're like, oh, okay, yes, yeah, poor me, you know, my, my bad, my mistake. But that passivity will express itself in violence and an outburst at the worst moment. Another name for it, if you are here last week, is Nathan. Nathan. We, we saw that Mason turns into Nathan when Mason takes public transport. However, like a bottled up pressure valve, mere avoidance of conflict will only delay the inevitable. It will only delay it to a more violent outburst and a more detrimental state. So simply closing the door on conflict does not work. In likewise, opening the door to conflict is called inviting. You're literally inviting. You are, you are actively seeking conflict. You are, you, are on, on, you are driving down the 101 and you are irritated when someone gets in your lane. Don't worry, I'm preaching to myself right now. You're inviting conflict. You're, you're looking for conflict. You're already irritated when you leave your house. That, that, that you're already thinking about your week and you're anticipating conflict. You've you, you already got words. You've got ammunition. You've you built up. You, you're psyching yourself up to it. This is inviting conflict. You're like Cain. Cain invited conflict. Cain literally had an open door. God was like, hey, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Be careful. Watch out. He's eager to subdue you. Sin is crouching at the door 
door, but yet you've got the door so wide open, you've got a written invitation to the enemy to come in and to captivate your emotions, to derail your plans and to rob your heart from really the good intent that God placed in it and use it to poison and hurt people as a result. If you have the door open and you're not careful and you're not guarded, what you're doing is you're inviting sin into your relationships. Don't care. You've got conflict. However, there is a middle ground. If, if closing the door is avoidance and opening the door is invitation, what's the, what's the middle ground? What's the middle ground that will help us control conflict? Well, I dare say if closing the door is avoidance and opening the door is invitation, then I would say that there is a, there is a place of tension called controlling the door, which helps us have confrontation, the right kind of confrontation. Not a confrontation between each other, but where we confront some things in us. Where we allow the conflict to confront. We allow the conflict to confront. This is how conflict can actually be a gift. I know San Francisco is starting to fade a little bit. Stay with me, San Francisco campus. Come on, Oaktown, just stay with me. This is going to hurt before it heals. Because you've thought I've got to avoid it. But that's not... How you, that's not what God says. God does not say to to, to Cain, Cain, just close the door on conflict. No, He says, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. You must subdue it. You must be its master. This, how do you be something's master? How how do you subdue something? Well, I dare say that to be something's master, you're the one who's in control. Would you agree? I got a dog. His name's Franco. I'm his master. And sometimes he needs to be reminded who's in control. Amen. He's a big boy. But I know he knows who his master is because I'm the one in control. I feed him or I don't feed him. So do what you're told, Franco. But what does that mean? What does that mean to control the situation? I know what it is to close and what it is to open, but what is it to control? Well, James gave us an indication. James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. What if we were to realize that, that conflict has a design that under control can actually be the cause of us asking the right questions? Wow. Stay, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. What, if, what if, 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 if I'm just closing the door on conflict, I'm just like covering my ears, I'm covering my eyes, I'm pretending like conflict doesn't happen, knowing that it's only gonna build up in my life anyway and purge out in a point that I don't want it to at the worst time possible. Like, like recently we were on a, a little family vacation and, uh, and, and this, is, this is the internal conflict of every parent. You know, when you take your kids on vacation, because you didn't vacation like that. You didn't even leave your city. When you went, when you went vacation, you camped in the backyard. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you at? Where's all my, oh, all the privileged people here like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I took my kids on a very nice vacation recently and I was having an internal dialogue with myself, a dad dialogue where I'm like, mm, kids don't get it. 
like we're in some beautiful places and I'm like, I'm like struggling with the fact and trying to keep it in because I don't want to disturb the peace, you know. And, uh, and, and their biggest complaint is that they cannot charge their iPad. Like first world problems, man. And I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I'm like bottled up and I'm like, just look out the window. Like we used to do. And I realized I sound like my dad. It comes out. It comes out. You bottle it up. And you realize that that's not going to work. And you realize that opening it up, you're just that guy all the time. No one wants to be around that guy. No one wants to be in relationship with that person who's just inviting relationship. In fact, that person doesn't get into relationships because the first sign of intimacy or the first sign of anything, man, conflict is produced and they've got issues. They're, they're always carrying stuff. They're always speaking their mind. They're volatile people. So how do we control it? Well, James gives us an indication that, that, possibly, that possibly by controlling conflict or the fact that conflict is present in our life, what if, what if conflict had the ability to cause us to ask the right questions? James says you have not because you haven't asked God for it. But even if you did ask God, you'd ask from the wrong motive anyway. So what if the element to ask the right way was the presence of conflict? Let me, let me clarify it like this, because recently uh, I, was, I was just on this, on this flight and, and I, don't, I don't like, I'm not a worker on a flight. Anybody, like, anybody work on the flight, you diligent people, you get your job done. I hate you. For me, I can't. It's like ADD or something. Like there are people doing stuff and, you know, like drinks, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, so I just need to zone in. And that's my, that's my time to watch documentaries. I love, I just where I get my documentary nerd on and, and I learn stuff. And this one flight, they had no documentaries, but they had TED Talks. So I was binging on these TED Talks and, and there was this one guy who was sharing a TED Talk about dishes. And he was tearing his lifelong conflict and frustration with dishes. And it intrigued me from the beginning because I don't like doing dishes either. And I thought we could, we could get on. And, and he was sharing how as a young boy, he hated doing dishes. He had to do the dishes. That was his chore. He had to do the dishes after he's the only child. So he had to, he, it was all on him doing the dishes. And then when he went to, to college, his frustration was with his roommates never doing the dishes. They would leave dirty dishes. And so he wanted to have a nice apartment, but all his roommates, you have to bear with them. Anybody got those roommates, you know what I'm talking about? And they leave dishes. And then he thought this will get better when he gets married. But when he got married, it's his house and his dishes. And so now if he didn't do them, then it reflected poorly on him as the owner of the house. And he was expressing this tension around dishes. By the time he got done, I hated dishes. I'm like, let's get paper plates. I don't want no dishes in my house. But then he had a revelation and he realised that that the dishes weren't about the dishes. The dishes were there to try and reveal something. You see, as a boy, his challenge was the dishes was actually not about the chore, but about independence. That he did, had no independence. He had to do what he was told to do. He was being forced to do something. In college, the dishes exposed uh, an issue of importance because what was important to him wasn't important to his roommates. And as a married man, having to do the dishes simply expressed an identity issue 
that conflicted him with him as the man of the house. Here we've got these mere dishes confronting an issue of importance, independence and identity. And ultimately, this is how conflict can serve us as well. Where if we just close the door on conflict, we never have to ask any questions of ourselves. We can simply avoid everything. But if we open the door, we're simply allowing the conflict to rule our life so there is no gap or no pause or no point for us to ask a question of what's happening inside. But when we control conflict, like, G, like God said to Cain, He says, hey, don't let it subdue you. It's eager. Man, the minute you let it open too much, it's going to pounce. Sin's crouching at the door. It's waiting to jump. It's waiting to pounce. But if, but if you control it, knowing that it's present, not avoiding it, but you know it's there. You know that conflict is at any given moment. You open that too much, man, it's going to open up a can of worms. You know it's going to derail your relationships. You know, you've seen it happen in the past. But God says, don't let it do that. You've got to be its master. That means you're going to be one to control it. You've got to temper it. You've literally got to hold it there, knowing that I can allow this conflict to produce something in my life because I'm going to allow it to ask myself some questions like what's causing this? Why am I reacting this way? Why do I have such a visceral reaction every time this is confronted in my life? Why is it when it comes to this area or this vicinity or this zone or this particular conversation, why do I feel the way I do? Instead of just ignoring it or opening it, what if I was to start to ask some questions? What if, what if this confrontation could produce the right questions? I like what David said, King David. In Psalms 139 verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is a, a writing that he wrote just after some severe conflict. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He doesn't say, check them. Check them, God. Get them. Obviously, they got me triggered. They, you, need to, you need to get. No, no, no. He's like, search me. Check me. I'm feeling a kind of way. And I'm feeling hot, I'm feeling heated, I'm feeling like, like I gotta react. But instead of just opening the door wide up like I usually do, what if I just dialed it in? What if I could see conflict for more than just something happening to me? What if I could see conflict as something that reveals something within me? Because I know that what God has for me to go to the level of influence and the level of impact and the purpose that He has for me requires a level of maturity that is ultimately weighted and measured in my ability to handle conflict. And if I can't handle the conflict I've got at this level, there's no way God can trust me with more. But maybe the very relationship you're in isn't just for your pleasure, or your feelings, but maybe your marriage is there to mature you and grow you. What if God's intended purpose for marriage wasn't happiness? I know that's what we think. Let's go to the altar, we're so happy. Kiss the bride. But then it can be confusing when you 
face conflict. But what if God's intent for marriage isn't happiness, but His purpose for marriage is partnership. His purpose for marriage is to teach you self-sacrifice. His purpose for marriage is to do some things within you that will, without that person to have conflict with, you wouldn't ultimately be the person that He's called you to be. Oh man, this is hard to preach because I know we're like, no, no, let's go back to getting married because we're happy. Sure, God wants you to be happy. I'm not saying He doesn't want you to be happy. But I do know that God has a bigger purpose in mind, which is influence. And that when you control the conflict and it causes you to ask the right questions and it causes you to deal with some things in your life, you will realize that God can produce something in you as an individual that together as a partnership, you have such a greater effect because you're now not focused and conflicting together. You're fighting for each other and you're fighting with each other, not at each other. And where two will come together, 10,000 can be put to flight. I wonder if we could do what David could do. I'm not trying to hype this up. I'm not trying to ramp this up at the end so we're all shouting. I'm trying to get reflective here for a moment. In fact, would you try something with me? Would you just stand to your feet, every campus, every location? So we can do what David said. Instead of looking to our spouse or the person we're in relationship with, blaming them, looking to see who can win what war. What if we could do what David did and just say, God, search my heart. I wonder what that area of conflict is that has you constantly triggered. Any moment that that conversation piece comes up or any moment that thing from your past comes up, it's like you open the door. Or maybe you've operated in avoidance where you've just closed it, you've turned a blind eye, but it never goes away. What if you could subdue it and be its master today? simply through the questions that you ask. Search my heart, God. See any offensive way within me. Create in me a clean heart. Help me grow, God. Help me learn. Help me face off with these things that I'm so afraid of. In fact, can we do that right now? Everyone right here, just close your eyes, just between you and God, just a moment on the altar where you get to bear your heart to God. Where you control the door. Since crouching at the door, it's waiting for an opportunity. But you are in control. You're in control. You're allowing it to ask you some questions. Why do I react the way I react? Why do I think the way I think? What area of deficit am I operating out of that God I need to go to you, not get from somebody else? God, how can I how can I mature in this process? God, I pray right now, Lord, like a surgeon you would do surgery on our hearts Lord that you would reveal the areas that we've reacted from the avenue through which conflict has come in the door that we've opened to sin and we've allowed it to cause us to respond a certain way or the very things that we've shut off and shut down we've closed up but it's pressure And instead of it coming out as a tool for the devil, God, we bear our hearts before you right now and we ask you, God, to reveal, speak, 
show us, God, let us be masters over it, that You could use conflict under our control for the purpose that You have in hand. Lord, that we could confront some things right now and that we could grow through them. God, we thank You for this whole series. God, we thank You, Lord, that You are doing a work in marriages. You're doing a work in relationships. God, You're positioning people, Lord, to be in a relationship. God, as You we do business within us right now. Lord, ultimately, would we serve Your purpose greater? And Lord, would our relationships be stronger as a result? In Jesus' mighty Name, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Amen. Come on, let's give Him a mighty praise. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this message. Hey, for more information, service times, locations, or to partner with us financially, make sure to head to vibechurch.org.